I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. Jill, last night was a a bit of a strange meeting. We basically had a meeting without any official reports from the school committee. There was supposed to be a report on the superintendent's self-evaluation as part of the evaluation system, but that was removed at the last minute. What we had was the superintendent gave remarks as part of those remarks, she talked about the movement on transformation schools. Um, and then much of the meeting, Jill, last night was about public comment. And then there's a few votes. So it was just a very unusual, a very unusual meeting last night. It kicked off with Chair Robinson mentioning that she had met with several of the community members who are advocating for, I'm quoting this, curricula that challenge students to think critically in BPS. What she was referring to we believe, was what was framed at last school committee meeting as an ethnic studies curriculum. She really didn't provide any information about the content of the discussions that she had had with community members, but she did say that she would keep the committee updated as conversations continue. So I think we still don't know what that's all about. Yeah, Jill, like the last meeting we had, uh, you know, I think it was around 30 people came out to speak in support of, it wasn't clear if it was a new ethnic studies curriculum or supporting the current curriculum that was in place. We have really no details on this and didn't get any details last night to help clear it up. So then Chair Robinson said that BPS will be revisiting its proposed admissions policy for Madison Park. As you recall, two meetings ago, the recommended policy was presented and discussed. Chair Robinson said that the vote would be moved or tabled because there was some worry amongst school committee members that it might be creating unintentional barriers for families. Yeah. And Jill, on this one, there wasn't much uh, uh, detail provided around what barriers there's most concern about from members. There was some conversation at the last meeting, two meetings ago, it was tabled at the last meeting, about ensuring that students knew they're going to a vocational school. And that was the critical part. Got to remember here, Jill, that about 30% of students are administratively assigned to Madison Park currently. So They may or may not know they're going to a vocational school, but 30% of kids don't even choose Madison Park currently. So we'll we'll have to stay tuned to this admissions policy. It is important, and it's important for all of our open enrollment high schools to know that students want to be in them and that the schools know who the students are who are coming. I mean, it's kind of foreshadowing a conversation that happens later in the meeting where school committee members are talking about why don't we have a resource for parents and families and kids that tells very explicitly what is going on in each school so that kids can better align with the school that's going to serve them best. Given that kind of the city is their oyster, but it's really hard to find the pearl. Anyway, moving on, Chair Robinson recognized one by one each of the graduating BSAC members. And so that was very nice recognition at the end of the year. And then, Jill, we heard some surprising news from member Lorena LaPera, who announced that this will be her last school committee meeting. She's stepping down for a new job at Advestors, and she wants to be able to spend more time with her family. So thank you to member LaPera for your service to the committee over this past year. Jill, then we went on to the superintendent's report, which really was the report of the meeting. So the superintendent gave a report on summer school, which actually was a very positive report. You know, we heard that in the fifth quarter program, more than 5,690 students registered. Last year, there was only 4,100 registered at this time. The extended school year program has 4,800 students registered. 3,000 students are enrolled in high school credit recovery, and 300 students are enrolled in the new exam school initiative. These have exceeded the goals for summer programming, which is great. And I was wondering, Jill, at this meeting, if we're going to hear an update about summer programming, and, and we did, and it was quite positive. Jill, we also heard a little bit about a breakdown 
that occurred with an enrollment of an adult in three of our high schools over this past year. Um, there was a story in the Boston Globe written about this. And it's, again, it kind of causes a bit of concern that somebody can enroll uh, as an adult, a 32-year-old can enroll in our schools. So it is concerning that that, that, could, that could happen in our school system. We didn't hear many details about it from the superintendent, but she acknowledged it did happen. She um, described it as an extremely sophisticated fraud. That's right. That's it, right. And it sounds like this has happened in other districts. Um, yeah. The thing about the other districts, Jill, like at least it's been reported on, is that it seems like those lasted a matter of days versus a year. Yeah, and in yeah. Boston, it, it, this person may have been in our schools for a year. And then, Jill, we also heard a report on MassCore, an update on MassCore, but without any numbers. The superintendent reported that this is the first year of MassCore implementation, that the current ninth graders have gone through MassCore, although there's no data to necessarily report on what classes they took, if they took all of their MassCore classes, and if they passed those classes. We did have, hear from the superintendent that they may need some waivers for particular subgroups for students around MassCore. So all unknown around MassCore implementation. It sort of implies though, Ross, that they do have data because one, they're suggesting that there may be a need for waivers. So there must be something happening that that they're seeing in the data that is, you know, kind of suggesting that that might be, a, you know, necessary. There's also, you know, this is in the ninth grade class is the first class to be required to meet Mass Corps as they move through the four years of school. We at least have three quarters. We have great show. I mean, there are, yeah. there, there are definitely data. And there, there... It's, it's just, you know, why wouldn't you why wouldn't you discuss it? It's, you yeah. know, the the school committee voted to implement MassCore. And so we know some things. Why not provide a more significant report? We absolutely know what students were enrolled in this year. And that could have been reported. And, yep. and their grades from three terms, as you pointed out, could have been reported as and well. And did every school, were they all able to offer That's every right. MassCore requirement? Right. You know, so there's definitely things that the district does know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to bring this up, right, around MassCore, uh, you know, it, some data to support it would be really, really helpful. And then the superintendent moved on to report on a number of successes over this past year, a reorganization of the central office structure. And the superintendents described this as a regional approach. The superintendent also pointed to the expansion of early college in a number of high schools, also the expansion of multilingual learning and some academic mentorship programs that she highlighted as being very proud of. She also mentioned, Jill, this is a, a little bit of a throwback to, to last year around this time. Yep. We heard VPS announce, I think it was Acting Superintendent Eccleson announced, we are going to have all of our bus drivers hired and all of our monitors hired. Fully staffed. Yeah, I hate to bring this back up again. It's I not think it the, was July last time. It may have been July. We right. staffed, <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. But the superintendent mentioned last night that all the bus drivers have been hired and all the monitors have been hired for September and even overstaffed for September and that this is the first time this has ever happened yeah. and that it's a smooth start. And Jill, I don't want, I don't want, I, I was excited to hear this and I also can't wait to see it happen. And then lastly, Jill, we heard a report on transformation schools. So this is, as you recall, this is the Department of Education as part of their agreement with the city, the school department has to report on transformation schools uh, four times a year. And this is the last report on transformation schools, we heard from the superintendent that 26 schools showed improvement in attendance this year, and that chronic absenteeism in these transformation schools is down by about 5%. And next, the superintendent honored Deputy Chief Denise Snyder, who is retiring this year. We wish Denise the best. She's done amazing service to the city of Boston. She is a amazing communicator. 
with families just giving a very difficult job this past year with uh, being handed the implementation of exam school communication, which was quite challenging, yeah. but it is uh, it's exciting to hear that Denise is uh, retiring and, and taking time for herself and her family. Yeah, so we wish her well. So the meeting moved on to questions from the school committee. And first off was a question from member Brandon Cardet-Hernandez about the Transformation School's report. I guess, is there any data around outcomes that we can talk about? And it doesn't have to even be end of year outcomes, but just like trends that we're seeing. He didn't feel like it was much of a report. You know, it it's really a question about outcomes and why weren't they reporting on anything that could be substantially considered by the school committee. Superintendent Skipper and Mike Saban, who's the executive director of Transformation Schools, were saying, you know, this takes longer than, you know, a report that that occurs every three months. That's probably right, Ross. I mean, maybe Desi has actually issued the wrong mandate around transformation schools. You know, I, it's not that a strategy for um, transforming these schools has really ever been presented, but rather there's just supposed to be a report. That, I don't know. Did Desi ever detail out what was supposed to be in that report? Right, Jill. So this is a question about the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, and maybe they should give a template for what the report should look like and what data should be looked at. Certainly, Mr. Cadet Hernandez pushed back, giving different examples of what the data could be. There wasn't even a name of the schools or right. you know, a sort of a roll-up of how they're doing in general. There was, I believe, a, a, a very clear ownership from Executive Director Sabin saying, these students in these schools and students in all schools need multiple years of dramatic improvement. And he was honest that they're not seeing that necessarily, but there was no data to support that. So I think this is a really important question, Jill. You know, when we've spent so much time talking about exam schools, these are 30 schools in our district that serve so many of our students, almost yeah. a quarter of our students, if not more. So th this is really important work and it needs to have better definition. BPS and the Department of Education should probably come together to figure out what is the right way to report on progress in these schools, and there needs to be accountability. Member LaPera also asked about transformation schools, and, and she was asking about vacancies, asking how many vacancies are in these schools, I believe, for next year. And it was noted that the transformation schools are running about 3% ahead of the rest of the district in fill rate. And I believe it's somewhere in the 70% tile but it wasn't very clear around the percentage of positions filled. But this is a real concern. As we talked about, we have thousands of positions unfilled at the beginning of last year. Mm. And it's really important that we have certified the best teachers, the best certified teachers in, in all of our schools, but in particular, these transformation schools. We haven't heard of late, right, what the number is now in terms of unfilled positions. We don't know. We, I mean, this yeah. is a typical time when we were like, okay, how many vacancies are yeah. in the district? How do we make sure we fill all those vacancies before the start of the school year to ensure that we're not hiring teachers in August and September? So that would have been nice to see that report. Maybe we'll see it at the next meeting in July. So closing out on transformation schools, Brendan Cardet Hernandez ultimately summed up his thoughts on the report in this way. I don't think we really got a presentation that is substantive enough for us to have like a real conversation. I'm saying that with so much respect, but just being really real. And I, I'm probably hot coming off of the exam school conversation and the amount of time we've spent talking about three schools that are some of our highest performing in the district. And the, the it just feels like a sort of superficial conversation about a, a 30 that none have even been named. We haven't even named one. We haven't even said a single school's name around a success or 
probably even more importantly, like where we're, we're seeing the greatest concern. Yeah. So Jill, I mean, it's amazing. We've devoted meeting after meeting to the three exam schools for several years. And the presentation on our 30 lowest performing schools is about a you know, five minute discussion tacked on to the end of the superintendent report. Hopefully the next school year, we'll see much more attention being paid to this issue. So Jill, the next topic that came up um, in questioning the superintendent after her report was about the article in the Boston Globe, which we'll link to, which told a very descriptive story of a student at the Burke High School and um, compared the experience of that student at the Burke High School to the experience of students at Boston Latin School. And the question was, Jill, how does the superintendent view that article? You know, what did she think about it? And here's what the superintendent had to say. I have lots of thoughts about the article. I think one of the things that didn't kind of get addressed as much as it should have in the article is, you know, what I would call all source funding, right? Or all resource funding, which is that some of our schools have foundations, some of our schools have foundation boards, and there's in some cases a considerable amount of money that comes in through them that actually can continue in some cases to fuel disparity. I think it's one of the things that we, in as we take on the work um, next year of the reimagining funding, we have to figure out how to consider. And so, Jill, in this article, yeah. the Burke, which has been highlighted in previous articles, too, about a school that has made, over the period of the last 30 years, have, has made dramatic improvement. Yeah. And then as soon as you stop paying attention to it, as soon as you sort of move resources out of it, it drops. And so this it is, was it was a transformation school. It moved out of being a tra- so it was like deeply it, funded. It moved out in of the being, last iteration. Jill, this yeah. was uh, the Burke was a transformation school under Linza McIntyre. Linza, yeah, and Linza dramatically improved the school, and the school moved out of transformation status. Yeah, and now the article highlights what's going on in the school now, and all of this, Jill, is about access to core content classes, access to clubs, access to extracurriculars, and access to really all the things that you would want to have in a high school. And it's and, a comparison of opportunities. When you go to a school like BLS, there's just this plethora of opportunities when it comes to AP courses and when it comes to language options right. and when it comes to sports and things like that. And none of those things exist at the Burke. And not only that, but if you're a student who is not encouraged to apply to an exam school, there are not any great resources for you and your family to figure out, okay, what what are in the other schools that are available That's to right. me. Right. That's right. And Jill, you know, the, the Globe article provided some resources for families, some drop downs yeah. that actually Mr. Hernandez has asked for at the last meeting. He said, hey, can we figure out what the menus are for every school? He was told that is too difficult to do. And the Globe provided those drop downs. And so we'll, we'll yeah. link to it, but it's really helpful. Now, Jill, to, just to react to the superintendent's comments about you know, she led with essentially the idea that because there's external funds for Boston Latin School, that that provides inequity. Through philanthropy, through through, through a nonprofit that's established to support the Boston Latin School. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so it's an important question here. What, what, what we do know is that the Burke spends about $34,000 per student. Mm-hmm. And they do so because they need to provide more resources and supports for students. There's more students with disabilities at the Burke than there is at Boston Latin School. So, you know, at, at the Burke High School, there's about 25% of students with disabilities. At Boston Latin School, there's 3% of students with disabilities. Boston Latin School spends about $20,000 per student. So that's a, about a $15,000 difference per student. But Boston Latin School actually offers a plethora of more courses and extracurricular activities and clubs right. than the Burke does. Right. Because Boston Latin School is full, because Boston Latin School also relies upon outside funding to fund some other key positions that to make up for the difference in funding. I think it's important to note, Jill, if you just simply took away 
the external funding from Boston Latin School, I'm not sure what you're getting, right? right? Like you're losing things. And right. so shouldn't the conversation be, what is the baseline we would expect for every Boston high school to have? And how do we ensure that that happens? Period. Right. So if the reaction is, the article pointed out we should take away the external resources, that's not the that's that's not what we should be talking about. We should be talking about how do we ensure that Burke has the same offerings as Boston Latin School? Yes. And what, you know, how does size play into it? Because it, this all comes down to, you know, a ratio of students to teachers and how many offerings you can have in a particular building, which you call a school. But if you have 300 kids times a fee per student versus thousands and thousands of kids times a fee per student, you just, by the very nature, you have more money to invest. You do need to set the floor. What should every student have? And then, and then you need to layer in, okay, well, how, what does that cost? And then what do, what do schools need to look like in order to provide that experience for every child? And some ch children need more than others. There's absolute structural inefficiencies in yeah. our school system. We need to have a clear understanding of what every school should be offering, and we need to work towards that. And again, Mr. Hernandez keeps on pushing on this issue that we need to make sure we know what the baseline is. What is the floor of offerings that every school should have to meet? our students' needs. Yeah. It would not be difficult to then lay out for every parent and every student what the offerings are in school right. and be able to compare them side by side. Well, Jill, so so the superintendent responded to Mr. Credit Hernandez asking again for sort of a menu of what is should be offered in every school. And she talks more about the human connection. She says what parents really want is someone to talk to who can help them make these decisions and tell them what they should be focused on. Mr. Cornette Hernandez actually says that's not always true. And here's his quote. I will just say, and I'm really out of time, but like, yes and no. Like, I want the human conversation, sure. I Sometimes I just want to read the menu. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then I can talk to the waiter and I can be like, is the chicken parm good? But like, I actually just want to know what's on the menu. Tell, give me the menu and then we can have a conversation if it's right. Yep. And we don't even have a menu yet. So Jill, I agree. Like you do need to provide a menu before you ask about how good the chicken parm sandwich is. That's <laughs> true. Uh, the, meeting, the meeting then moved on to public comment. There were 41 comments over the course of the next several hours. Nearly all of the public comments were about exam schools, the O'Brien and the BLA, the so Boston is, Latin Academy in particular, now not Boston Latin School. So oh. I just can't get away from, get but away this from is it. different context actually. So you want to talk yeah. about the context here? Jeez, Jill. I, you know, so, so many times during the meeting, people are saying, well, how do we move away from exam schools and then public comment? Here we go. Here we go. We're talking about the, the other, there's three exam but, schools. But let's not, these are massive assets in the They're city. They're so important. Right. And it's why a number of families stay here is because we have these three incredible schools. And a very high percentage of our high school students go to these three schools, yes. right? So here's the thing, Jill. Like, so so we ha so you have to be careful with them. And what last night was about a bunch of discussion around how we're not yeah. being careful I mean, look, with them. We talked about this at the last meeting. Boston Latin Academy, there's something going on, which is a personnel issue between the, the head of the school and the staff of the school, right? Yeah. There's, there's some tension happening there. And the last meeting, we heard a little bit about the tension and a, the possibility of a vote of no confidence in the leader of the school. Mm -hmm. And at this meeting, there is a, a number of teachers who came out and, and some parents who came out really pushing on unaddressed concerns they have about the leadership of the school. Mm. And Jill, it's important to note here that Boston Latin Academy has had a series of leadership changes over the past decade. 
And this is not something, Jill, that should be bought up at the school committee. Like this, this problem, this sort of problem of how the school leadership and the teachers are working together to create a really positive school environment should be ensured that that's happening through the support structure of the superintendent's office. So you're saying this the escalation to school committee is a major red flag. It shouldn't be happening. Yeah. We, we should not be having this issue being raised to the level of the school committee. This is not a policy decision. This yeah. is a personnel decision. And this should not be, this is a, it is but, totally but a red flag. the public raised it. The employees of the school system raised it because right. they felt that their voices weren't being heard yes. through their vote yes. of no confidence. And so that just tells me that whatever the regional structure is, whatever the new structure of central office is, that should be solving this problem. It sh this problem should not be coming not to working. the school committee. Something yeah. is not working. And now, now you have adults arguing with each other, which destabilizes the school community, which moves the attention from the students in the school to the adults in the school. And that's not helpful for anybody. And so I'm hoping that there's resolution to this as soon as possible, because this is an incredibly important institution. This is a really strong school and somebody needs to make sure that that, that is sustained. Right. And then Jill, the other large amount of public comments came from O'Brien, uh, families, students, and staff. And you know, there was a meeting two nights ago, Jill, a community meeting on on the big announcement that the O'Brien would be moving to West Roxbury Academy. This was an announcement we covered two weeks ago um, that was made just before the school committee meeting. And there's a lot of concern amongst the O'Brien community that this move will impact their students and their staff. It will impact the diversity of the school. The school is in the center of our city, Jill. The O'Brien is attached to Madison Park High School. And the superintendent and the mayor announced that the O'Brien would be moving to West Roxbury Academy. There's no details provided about when the move would happen, how much would it take to convert that school to a because the school is currently closed, how much would it take to renovate the school, and how would students get to West Roxbury, right? This is the key point of contention is around transportation. This proposal sets limitations on the O'Brien students due to a loss of accessibility. The O'Brien is a school of culture, variation of race and ethnicity, and within a practical location. My worry remains that a move to a more isolated location would greatly affect this identity of the school. And how does staff get there? I mean, it and just, it just has caused so much consternation because there is actually no plan. To announce this well before the Green New Deal announcement and in, in end of the year before the report's even done, right. like came out of nowhere. School committee members didn't know about it. The communities didn't know about it. And it was announced, announced yeah. with any, without any plan, without any details. And when you do that, all you do is create um, confusion. Yeah. You create concern. And none of that has been alleviated. And then we, what we heard is from the chair of the school committee and the superintendent, they're trying to walk it back. They're trying to say, it was just a proposal. It's not a big deal. Well, first you announce it publicly and say, everyone, look at us. Listen to us. We're going to move the O'Brien to West Roxbury. It's weird to have an event around a proposal, right. too, by the way. And then you have a proposal. But by the way, Jill, in this in this uh, announcement, in this event, where yeah. it was announced that we're going we're gonna to really improve our high schools, which the superintendent said was just a proposal. Mm. They also announced that Fenway High School was going to have early college. Is that a plan or a proposal? Is that just a proposal too? Or is it really happening? I believe it's really happening. The superintendent also announced that Charlestown High is going to partner with Bunker Hill Community College to do early college. Is right. that a plan or a proposal? I believe that's a plan. Like that's currently happening. It's been happening for years. It's been happening for years. Yeah. The superintendent also announced that Madison Park High School was going to be expanded. Right. Is yeah. that a plan or a proposal? Is that just a proposal? Like, I, I don't understand how we're calling something a proposal when 
they made a big public announcement about it. And it was all part of this plan. By the way, anyone who's walked those buildings, the O'Brien and Madison Park, it knows how big Massive those spaces joke. are. I mean, it, just start. If you really want to do something for Madison Park, just bring it into the 21st century. And it'll cost a lot less than going out towards Dedham to repair a building that's really falling apart and moving an entire community who's successful in their space, even though their space probably doesn't meet the requirements of a 21st century education for one of the top three schools in the city. It's just like there's so much that could be done without just causing everyone to get angry. The campus of Madison Park and O'Brien and actually the former Roland Hayes School of Music is another building in that campus. Yeah. And there's there's just it's just an enormous campus in the in the really incredible center of the city. Yeah. Um, across the street is a Timothy School, which is currently vacant. There's just a lot right. of think a lot of like creativity that we could be having here. There was just this massive instability created for two of the three exam schools yeah. in this in this past few weeks. And now at the at the O'Brien, we have the adults and the students focused on this issue rather than on, you know, student learning in their school every day. And it's just really unfortunate and really unforced. And it, it was all the doing of the politicians and the superintendent making this big announcement and creating instability. Yeah. Jill, also, so last night, as we noted earlier, was basically hours of the meeting were dedicated to public speakers. We heard from the O'Brien, as we talked about. We heard from Boston Latin Academy. We also heard from staff and governing board members and parents from Boston Community Leadership Academy who also have concerns about their facilities. They're supposed to be merging with the McCormick School mm -hmm. and the promises that were made to them have never come to fruition. So they're concerned about that. We also heard about exam schools again. We heard from families saying their student has been left out of the exam schools and that's uh, it's really unfortunate and the problems with the tiers and the points. We also heard from a parent at Mission Hill School who wanted to again share the trauma that was created at that school last year. And hopefully she was basically saying, we hope that doesn't happen again this year. And we also heard from the English language learner task force, John Mudd actually raised concerns about not being heard and not feeling like there's a real plan to address English language learners, multiple language learners in our district and about the leadership of that department, which has yet to be filled. Yep. The meeting moved on. Chair Robinson noted that the evaluation process for the superintendent will happen over the summer that is required as part of her contract to be evaluated before the next school year. And so we will hear about a special, there's be a special meeting in July where the superintendent will present her self-evaluation. Dr. Stephen Alkins will lead a review process and present on her review before August. And as you recall, Jill, last time we saw this, each member writes an evaluation for the superintendent and rates it. I, I believe Dean Coleman was the last one to lead this process. We'll have those publicly available. And then th those will all roll up into an overall evaluation for the superintendent at the first meeting in September. So that will be something to look forward to this summer. And then lastly, Jill, uh, Ms. LaPera in New Business brought up uh, the comment about John Mudd and wanted to make sure that there was time to schedule a multilingual learner update. And superintendent did note that they will provide an update on when the new hire for the department will be and ensure that there's a task force presentation to the committee. Then lastly, Jill, you know, at the last part of the meeting, member Cadet Hernandez gave some advice to the school committee. I think it would just behoove us, and I said this with our last merger as well, like to be able to offer people clarity around the timeline up front and maybe norming around the fact like we're not ready to make an announcement 
about anything, even a proposal, until we have mm. clarity around the timeline for engagement. Like the proposal around space has to include the timeline around engagement. Like they have to be in tandem. Mm-hmm. And right now we're like not operating in that. And and I understand why folks are so concerned and confused. Um, none of that was provided in this big announcement about the Madison Park and O'Brien movement. And uh, hopefully the superintendent and mayor will figure out in the future how to do these announcements in a much more savvy, responsible, detailed, considerate manner. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your student, please email us at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.